Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Eccentric Earth. I'm Amy Walker, your host, and joining me this week to delve into a crazy story from history is my good friend, Han Birch. Hello. Thanks for having me, Amy. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. It's It's been too long since we've podcasted together. Yeah, absolutely. And I I, I, I don't know whether to like be nervous or excited about about what story you're going to tell me because there's been some interesting ones so far <laughs> i i'm trying to aim for interesting if if it can make me go what the fuck or laugh out loud while i'm researching it i think i've got a winner so yeah and, absolutely and yeah. this one does both more than once okay so let's begin thomas p corbett was born in london in 1832 he and his family emigrated to the United States in 1939, shortly before his seventh birthday. The Corbett family moved around frequently before eventually settling in the town of Troy in New York. As a young man, Corbett began apprenticing as a hatter. As a hatter, Corbett was regularly exposed to the fumes of mercury nitrate. <laughs> yep. Uh, you you kind of know where this is going, don't you? <laughs> well, I, I, I know I know what fun things Mercury can do with, with oh, the yes. way you see the world, yeah. <laughs> Excessive exposure to the compound can lead to hallucinations, psychosis and twitching, which was known as hatter's shakes. Oh, I didn't know that. I knew about the um, I knew about the hallucinations and stuff, but I didn't know it had physical effects as well. Yep. After working as a hatter in Troy, Corbett returned to New York City. He later married, but his wife and child died in childbirth. Following their deaths, he moved to Boston. Corbett became despondent over the loss of his wife and child and began drinking heavily. He was unable to hold a job and eventually became homeless. After a night of heavy drinking, he was confronted by a street preacher who persuaded him to join the Methodist Episcopalian Church. Corbett immediately stopped drinking and became devoutly religious. He must... I mean, either people... Well, okay, people are pretty easily persuaded nowadays as well. But, you know, he's depressed, he's homeless, he's drinking, his life's not good. And then he meets this one person and all of a sudden it's like, oh, God, awesome, brilliant. Not, hang on a minute, if if there always was a God, wasn't he to blame for killing my wife and child? Well, when you're that low, maybe the only way to go up is up and God's going to be his ladder. Well, yeah, I mean, God is as high as you get, really, isn't it? I'm talking, you know, yeah. geographically. <laughs> <laughs> After he was baptised, Corbett changed his name to Boston, the name of the city where he was converted. So he changed his name to Boston? Yes. Okay. First name or last name? First name. So he's Boston... Boston Corbett. Boston Corbett. Okay. Yeah. Now going by Boston Corbett, he regularly attended meetings at the Fulton and Broomfield Street churches, where his enthusiastic behaviour earned him the nickname the Glory to God Man. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty solid nickname. Um, yeah. That's a nickname that the fellow Christians have given him, so that shows just how into it he was. 
Yeah. I mean, he sounds like one of those um, happy clapper evangelicals, kind of, you know, dancing in the aisle and weeping it up. Um, oh, yes. wonder how much of it is the mercury poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> in an attempt to imitate Jesus, Corbett began to wear his hair very long. He also became a regular at sidewalk churches around the city, peppering street preachers' prayers with boisterous refrains of glory to God and come to Christ. <laughs> In 1857, Corbett began working at a hat manufacturer's shop on Washington Street in downtown Boston. He was reported to be a proficient worker, but was known to pray and sing for his co-workers who used profanity in his presence. The street ministers eventually encouraged him to stake out a corner of his own, not so much because the young man had potential, but to keep his annoying chorus at a distance. I thought that was going to be the case. It's like, no, he's kind of shit, but he's really, really annoying. So... <laughs> Let's just send him over there to do his own to do his own thing. I mean, I know it's not a very Christian attitude, but you know, fuck that guy, right? <laughs> Corbett, now twenty six, took the advice. He began working as a street preacher and would sermonize and distribute religious literature in North Square. Corbett soon earned a reputation around Boston for being a local eccentric and religious fanatic. And in those days, you know, considering how back in the 80 well, so it's what about the 1850s now isn't it that yes. there wasn't really any there wasn't even really the question of atheism that pretty much everybody believed in god and it was more about the the different the different churches that you wanted to go to obviously he's an he's an episcopalian but yeah so to call somebody like a radical at that age you've got to be pretty far out Oh, yes. I was just imagining him with his long hair and like a massive velvet hat on. As well. <laughs> Full of mercury. <laughs> yeah. Dancing a jig. On July 16th, 1858, Corbett was propositioned by two prostitutes while walking home from a church meeting. He was deeply disturbed by the encounter. Is that what they used to call it? I was deeply disturbed. <laughs> <laughs> Upon returning to his room at a boarding house... Corbett began reading chapters 18 and 19 in the Gospel of Matthew. Oh, he didn't He didn't return to his boarding house and masturbate furiously? No, no. No. Well, he might have done that first, just admitted it. <laughs> the passage read, And if thy right eye offends thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, and there be eunuchs, which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. No! <laughs> oh, is this going where I think it's going? I, I don't I don't know. I don't know what you you mean. He's just he's just reading. But he he chose that passage. He didn't just open his Bible at random, I'm assuming. He Maybe he chose didn't. that it was passage, the hand of God. That <laughs> that's a Freudian slip there. Um he chose <laughs> that passage and and he I, I think he's going to think that that's a really good idea that because he was disturbed by the prostitutes, obviously because he was he was interested in the prostitutes, not because they were prostitutes. Oh, okay, carry on. <laughs> Inspired by the words, and in order to avoid <laughs> sexual temptation and remain holy, Corbett took a pair of scissors, <gasps> snipped an incision under his scrotum, and removed his oh. testicles. Oh, oh, dude. That's, oh, oh, that's taken the religious... Thing a bit, a bit too far. Okay. He obviously didn't die. No. Could have done. He then ate a meal and went to a prayer meeting before going to hospital <laughs> to seek medical treatment. <laughs> I'm sure it can wait. 
I'm a bit I'm a bit peckish. I'm a bit peckish. Need to say hello to God. I'm sure my <laughs> my 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 bleeding scrotum can wait. Oh, that would have been a painful walk to church. That that yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wincing a bit as he sat down a bit. <laughs> Every time the priest says, and please rise, he's like, oh, fucking hell. That's Neil. Oh, do I have to? <laughs> I'm good sitting, Father. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Oh, the glory to God, man. He's not do- dancing his normal jigs. Oh, no, no, not today. <laughs> so he went to see a doctor. and So weeks after healing, the castrated hat maker moved to New York City and resumed his trade because he needs more mercury in his system, obviously. Yeah. Obviously, just not enough. Not enough. He remained a zealot, often attending the lunchtime prayers at the YMCA's Fulton Street meetings. In April 1861, early in the American Civil War, Corbett needed to decide if he would become a pacifist or a soldier. After prayerful consideration, he chose soldier and enlisted in the 12th Regiment New York Militia to join the Union Army in the Civil War. Okay, so he sees a couple of prostitutes. He wants to fuck the prostitutes, so he cuts his balls off so that he can remain pure Mm -hmm. but he decides that killing other people is better than not we both know we both know christianity has been okay with killing for many years but not good with sex stuff yes but but it but not all of the bible i mean yeah the old testament is pretty fucking bloody and and terrible and 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 horrendous but at least once once old jc comes along he does kind of preach more tolerance and turning the other cheek and slightly less bloodthirsty than the wrathful old testament god so he could have gone the pacifist route and still stayed true to his to his faith but also in his mind it might be the christian thing to take up arms in order to free those being oppressed by those in the South, because a lot of people did join up over slavery and abolition. Did Did you know though? This is a very This is a very interesting fact that the Civil War is portrayed, as you said, as the North taking up arms to abolish slavery, when it was actually the South that taking up arms to try and keep slavery, and the North having no no recourse but to mm. to fight back basically it wasn't like all these northerners went oh slavery is terrible we must take up arms it was all the southern slave masters going fuck you i'm making lots of money you can't take my slaves and arming themselves and then the north going oh shit we we've got to do something <laughs> about this it's entirely the opposite way around dun, 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 american history not as heroic as everybody thinks oh christ no right <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying there weren't any people that wanted no. to fight against slavery, but the fact that it, you know, it's seen as like, you know, them championing the cause of the free man is complete, complete propaganda. It worked, though. It did. And then, you know, all the slaves were freed and then everything was fine after that. Yep. Not a single issue after that. Not a single problem. Whilst in the army, Corbett's eccentric behaviour quickly got him in trouble. <laughs> It was those big hats, you know, he, you know, he, he wasn't exactly camouflaged because he, he insisted on wearing his, his massive velvet hat all the time. I'm kind of modelling him on the Mad Hatter from Alice in Wonderland, you might guess this. Yeah. Oh, he is quite mad. And obviously that's where the Mad Hatter comes from. Not Well, not him, but, but yeah, no, Hatter's that's getting because, mercury poisoning. Like, yeah, Hatter's became mad because it was because of the mercury. Mm-hmm. That's why you have the phrase mad as a Hatter as well. Yep. He carried a Bible with him at all times and read passages aloud from it regularly. He held unauthorised prayer meetings and argued with his superior officers. Corbett would tell women at his church that when he came eye to eye with his grey-suited enemies, I will say to them, God have mercy on your souls, then pop them off. (laughs) 
them off to heaven. Toot sweet. That's a very gentle. And why was he only telling the women at his church? Bragging. You think that's what it is? Hey, ladies. I think he's just that fucked in the head now. He d- it doesn't matter to him. You mean he's not rational? Well, uh, let's be honest. The most rational man will remove his testicles just to avoid prostitutes. Well, yeah, exactly. It is the only course of action. You can't, like, you know, try and stop the prostitutes being prostitutes. That would that would be ridiculous endeavour. You've got to... I'm surprised he didn't take the whole lot, to be honest. Corbett also condemned officers and superiors for what he perceived as violations of God's word. <laughs> During a drill in New York's Franklin Square... Colonel Daniel Butterfield was livid at his troops' improper formations and gave them a tongue-lashing laced with profanities. Corbett, who had yet to see a single second of fighting, barked back, Colonel, don't you know you're breaking God's law? (laughs) He was immediately sent to the guardhouse for several days, but refused to apologise for his insubordination. (laughs) He's not not really getting the whole way the military runs, (laughs) is he? No. They don't really like individuals. (laughs) Whilst in the guardhouse, he proceeded to one-up his commanding officer by singing hymns at the top of his lungs. <laughs> the passive-aggressive way to piss somebody off. Butterfield sent a messenger to warn him that if he didn't stop, he would be punished. Corbett kept on singing. When Butterfield finally ordered the release of Corbett in exchange for an apology, Corbett responded, No, I have only offended the colonel, while the colonel has offended God and I shall never ask the colonel's pardon until he himself asks the pardon of God. Well, it's, it, it's a stance. <laughs> it's, you know, he, he stand, he, he's got conviction. You've got to give him that. Yeah, it's fucking crazy conviction, but he's got it. And, and you know what? Once you have self-castrated, I don't think there's a lot of punishment that can hold much, much fear <laughs> for you, really. True. I mean, I'm not talking from experience, but but I can imagine that you know, w- once you've done that, it's like, what you're gonna you're gonna whip me? Ooh, <laughs> I cut my own testicles off and then ate my dinner. Fuck you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Due to his continued disruptive behaviour and refusal to take orders, Corbett was court-martialed and sentenced to be shot. His sentence was eventually reduced, and he was discharged in August 1863. So did he actually do... So it sounds like he didn't actually do any fighting. Not at that point, no. No, he was just... He, he went in the army. He he talked back to a superior officer. He refused <laughs> to apologise for it. They were going to shoot him and then they won't just get rid of him. Seriously. <laughs> we can't put up with him anymore. Just get him out. Yeah, same as what the preachers did in Boston. <laughs> oh my God, he's so annoying. Corbett re-enlisted later that month as a private in Company L in the 16th New York Cavalry Regiment. So he just went straight back to the army. But that's what that's what that woman did, wasn't it? She got she mm-hmm. was refused, so she just like drove like went like six miles away and joined somebody else. Yeah, yeah. They they didn't do many background checks. <laughs> <laughs> Any previous experience? Uh, no. In June 1864. While hunting Confederate Colonel John S. Mosby's men in Virginia, Corbett found himself cornered by the so-called Grey Ghosts troops near Centerville. His fellow soldiers were nearly all compelled to surrender, according to Harper's Weekly, but not Corbett. He stood out manfully and fired his revolver and 12 shots from his breech-loading rifle before surrendering. Mm-hmm. Mosby, in admiration for the bravery displayed by Corbett, ordered his men not to shoot him. Instead, Corbett was sent to Andersonville, the most notorious Civil War prison. Corbett was held prisoner at Andersonville for nearly five months. 
Almost one-third of all the 45,000 Union soldiers sent to Andersonville died there, but Corbyn managed to survive his incarceration. Oh, bloody hell. Mm. I didn't know that they... Um, I mean, I don't... Obviously, I don't know that much about the about the, the Civil War, but I, I didn't realise that they um, interned soldiers. Oh, yeah. And from what I've read about Andersonville, it's a really fucked-up place. Did they die of disease, or was it...? Yeah, disease, malnutrition... The, the elements, yeah, they, they pretty much just weren't looked after at all. Oh, lovely. I think some of them would have preferred to be shot rather than sent to there. Probably. He was released in an exchange in November 1864 and was admitted to the army hospital in Annapolis, where he was treated for scurvy, malnutrition and exposure. On his return to his company, he was promoted to sergeant. Within a few months, the war was over. On the evening of April 14th, 1865, President Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. He was attending a production of the play Our American Cousin at Ford's Theatre in Washington, D.C. He was shot in the head by a well-known actor, John Wilkes Booth. On April 24th, 1865, Corbett's regiment was sent to apprehend John Wilkes Booth, who was on the run since assassinating the president days earlier. Oh, really? Oh, okay, cool. Didn't know that. Yeah, he took him like 10 days to track him down. Mm. The detachment left Washington via steamer on April 24th and headed about 50 miles down the Potomac to land at Belle Plaine, Virginia. After a day of fruitless searching, the volunteers received a tip from a fisherman and his wife that men fitting Booth and his accomplice David Herald's descriptions had crossed the river and were heading towards Bowling Green in Virginia. The same informant suggested that the men were aided by a soldier named Willie Jett, it was now midnight on April 26th. After knocking on several doors, Doherty's men found Jet at a hotel and roused him from bed. Jet wasn't about to give up Booth and Herald, but Doherty informed him that he should suffer if he didn't do so. Jet agreed to lead them 12 miles to land near Port Royal, owned by a farmer named Richard Garrett, where Jet had left the men two days earlier. Arriving at Garrett's farm, Corbett later wrote, the lieutenant said to me, Mr Booth is in that house. Ride through the command and see that every man's pistol is in readiness for use. When Doherty asked after the fugitives, Garrett claimed that they were in the woods. Doherty didn't believe him. So as he later told the Washington Brass, he seized the man by the collar and pulled him out of the door and down the steps. He then put his revolver to his head and told him to tell him where the two assassins were. Garrett told him that they were in the barn. It was after 2am now. Doherty's men had descended on the tobacco barn and formed a ring around it, Corbett included. From inside, Booth was trying to talk himself out of the situation. Captain, draw off your men 50 yards, Booth shouted, according to a soldier from the 16th Cavalry. A crippler's eye, with only one leg and cannot walk without a crutch, I would take a chance for my life. Doty refused. As a side note, Booth had a bad leg from when he escaped the assassination attempt and actually broke his leg. Oh, right. Break it when a horse fell on him. Yeah, that's got a sting. Yep. So, yeah, he hasn't got much chance of running out of there. No, not really. The back and forth between Booth and Doherty continued for an hour until Booth yelled that there was a man in here who wants to surrender awful bad. Out came Harold, the accomplice, and Booth started t- talking again. Concluding that their target was never coming out, a federal investigator named Everett Conger took a clutch of dry hay, lit it on fire and stuck it through a crack in the barn. The barn was set on fire in an attempt to force him out into the open, but Booth remained inside. Corbett was positioned near a large crack in the barn wall. In an 1878 interview, Corbett claimed that he saw Booth aim his carbine 
prompting him to shoot Booth with his Colt revolver, despite being ordered not to. So they want. So they wanted to take him alive. They didn't want. They didn't want to kill him. Is that is that yeah. why they were ordered not to shoot? Yeah. Basically, they thought that he was going to be part of a larger conspiracy, which he was, because they tried to eliminate a number of people at the same time. So right. they wanted him alive so they could question him, find out who he's working with, and Corbett's just gone and shot him. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Like you know, God told him to do it, so it'll be fine. Lieutenant Doherty stated that the bullet struck Booth in the back of the head, about an inch below where he had shot Abraham Lincoln. Booth's spinal cord was severed on impact. Booth was carried to the front porch of the Garrett house and placed on a makeshift mattress. Kill me, he whispered. (laughs) He asked to see his hands, so one of the soldiers lifted his paralysed limbs. Useless, useless, Booth muttered before he died at around 7am. So... I think people are going to be kind of pissed at Corbett. <laughs> well, I don't know, because some people will think he's a hero, won't they? Oh, yes. Yeah. Lieutenant Colonel Conger initially thought that Booth had shot himself. After realising Booth had been shot by someone else, Conger and Lieutenant Doherty asked which of the officers had shot Booth. Corbett stepped forward and admitted that he was the shooter. When asked why he had violated orders, Corbett replied, Providence directed me. He was immediately arrested and was accompanied by Lieutenant Doherty to the War Department in Washington, D.C. to be court-martialed. <laughs> Not bad going, second court-martial in ten years. Yep. When questioned by Edwin Stanton about Booth's capture and shooting, both Doherty and Corbett agreed that Corbett had in fact disobeyed orders not to shoot. However, Corbett maintained that he had believed Booth had been intended to shoot his way out of the barn and that he acted in self-defence. He stated... Booth would have killed me if I had not shot first. I think I did right. Stanton paused and then stated, The rebel is dead. The patriot lives. He has spared the country expense, continued excitement and trouble. Discharge the patriot. I hate I hate to say it, but... I mean, from the way Booth was... I mean, the barn's on fire and he's still not coming out. He's obviously not going to surrender. Mm-hmm. You'd think that his next recourse would be to try and shoot his way out. Yeah. And if what Corbett saw, well, thought he saw was real, you know, he could very well have been raising his gun to fire. Mm. Upon leaving the war department, Corbett was greeted by a cheering crowd. (laughs) As he made his way to Matthew Brady's studio, the most famous photographer of the era, to have his official portrait taken, the crowds followed him, asking for autographs and requesting that he tell them about the shooting of Booth. Corbett told the crowd, I aimed at his body. I did not want to kill him. I think he stooped to pick something up just as I fired. That may probably account for his receiving the ball to the head. When the assassin lay at my feet, a wounded man, and I saw that the bullet had taken effect about an inch back of the ear, and I remembered that Mr. Lincoln was wounded about the same part of the head, I said, what a God we have. God avenged Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) Of course he did. (laughs) Eyewitnesses to Booth's shooting contradicted Corbett's versions of events and expressed (laughs) doubt that Corbett was responsible for shooting Booth. Sorry, they, sorry, contradicted his version of events. And expressed doubts that Corbett was responsible for the shooting. Oh, okay. Officers who were near Corbett at the time claimed that they never saw him fire his gun. Corbett's gun was never inspected and eventually lost. They claimed that Corbett came forward only after Lieutenant Colonel Conger asked who had shot Booth. Richard Garrett, the owner of the farm on which Booth was captured, and his 12-year-old son, Robert, also contradicted Corbett's testimony. 
that he acted in self-defence. Both maintained that Booth had never reached for his gun. Was there a a grassy knoll nearby? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if Corbett didn't didn't shoot Booth, who did shoot Booth? I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the CIA again here. I think it was Lincoln. Ah, Lincoln's ghost. Yeah, it's like, you shoot me in the back of the head, I'll get you. Absolutely. Makes sense. It's the only explanation. It is. It's the only thing that makes any level of sense. While there was some criticism of Corbett's actions, he was largely considered a hero by the public and press. One newspaper editor declared that Corbett would live as one of the world's greatest Avengers. And I can only just picture him, like, next to Captain America and Iron Man now. I I don't remember him in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) For his part in Booth's capture, Corbett received a portion of the $100,000 reward money, amounting to $1,653.84, which is the equivalent of $26,000 in today's currency. Not bad at all. Yeah, the money was split between the entire regiment that was there and captured Booth. Mm. His annual salary as a U.S. sergeant was $204 a month, equivalent to £3,000. Corbett received offers to purchase the gun he had used to shoot Booth. He refused, stating, That is not mine. It belongs to the government, and I would not sell it for any price. Corbett also declined an offer for one of Booth's pistols, as he did not want to remember the shooting. After his discharge from the army in August 1865, Corbett went back to work as a hatter in Boston and frequently attended the Broomfield Street Church. So, so do so do we think he lied then? It's possible. You know, it could have been another soldier who got over zealous or nervous and fired and then when they came along saying who did it they were thinking oh shit, oh shit, I'm going to be in trouble. And then the fucking mad hatter steps up and goes it was me. It's like oh thank Christ. Someone else can take the blame. Yeah, I'll let him. Mm. It could be Corbett. I think it's more likely based on where the the bullet hit him that Corbett just saw him and thought, I'm going to shoot the guy, rather than it being self-defence. But who knows? Yeah. Yeah, it's no way of knowing. God knows. (laughs) God directed the bullet. He did. (laughs) When the hatting business in Boston slowed, Corbett moved to Danbury, Connecticut, to continue his work, and also preach in the country roundabout. By 1870, he had relocated once again to Camden, New Jersey, where he was known as a Methodist lay preacher. Corbett's inability to hold a job was attributed to his fanatical behaviour. He was routinely fired after continuing his habit of stopping work to pray for his co-workers. <laughs> some people have a smoke break. Some people have a, you're going to hell, I just have to pray for you break. You know, it's, it, it's fine, it's fine. In an effort to earn money, Corbett capitalised on his role as Lincoln's Avenger. He gave lectures about the shooting that- of Booth... <laughs> This guy is collecting some seriously <laughs> shit-hot nicknames. Glory of God, man. Lincoln's Avenger. I mean, that, that could be a comic book. That sounds yeah. awesome. <laughs> he gave lectures about the shooting of Booth, accompanied by illustrated lantern slides at Sunday schools, women's groups, and tent meetings. <laughs> However, Corbett was never asked back due to his increasingly erratic behaviour and incoherent speeches. <laughs> so they would invite him once. And then they get to the end of the meeting and go, oh, that was a bad move. (laughs) This dude is crazy. Now I kind of understand maybe where Trump models models himself on. (laughs) Oh, no, this guy's cooler. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't don't get me wrong. And and I think that Trump would be a a far better person if he didn't have a scrotum. (laughs) 
can't hurt. Let's let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, maybe you should just, you know, get him to try it, see how it is for a while. R.B. Hoover, a man who befriended Corbett, recalled that Corbett believed men who were in high authority at Washington at the time of the assassination were hounding him. Corbett said the men were angry because he had deprived them of the prosecution and execution of John Wilkes Booth. He also believed that the same men had gotten him fired from various jobs. Oh, so the paranoia is kicking in now as well. Oh yeah, it's all a conspiracy. In a letter appearing in the Cleveland Leader newspaper, a soldier named Private Dalzell, surmised to be a friend of Corbett's, claimed that Corbett was pursued by threatening letters every day and received no less than a dozen along the lines of the one that read, Hell, September 1st, 1874. Boston Corbett, nemesis is on your path. John Wilkes Booth. Not the best hate matter as far as they go. No, but... no, it's slightly, I mean, the incoherency <laughs> makes me think that maybe he wrote it himself. Corbett's paranoia was fuelled by the hate mail he was receiving. He became fearful that Booth's Avengers, or organisations like the Secret Order, were planning to seek revenge upon him. (laughs) As such, he took to carrying his pistol at all times. Oh, that can only end well. Corbett began brandishing his pistol at friends or strangers he deemed as being (laughs) suspicious. God. If you add in the fact that he's got the shakes because of all the fucking mercury, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe he did mean to shoot Booth in the knee and just, you know, twitched at the wrong time. While attending the soldiers' reunion of the Battle of Blue and Grey in Coldwell, Ohio, in 1875, Corbett got into an argument with several men over the death of John Wilkes Booth. The men questioned if Booth had really been killed, which enraged Colbert. Whether he'd really been killed or whether it was like a massive cover-up. And he yes. was still alive? Or... Yeah, there are, there are actually some theories that it has been covered up, but they're crazy. Okay. Corbett drew his pistol on the men, but was removed from the reunion before he could fire it. <laughs> In 1878, Corbett moved to Concordia, Kansas, where he acquired an 80-acre plot of land through homesteading. He built a one-room hovel with a wooden floor and rock walls. Suspicious of anyone venturing near his dugout, fearing that someone, perhaps Booth's Avengers, were out to get him. He presented his pistol to anyone who approached. He was even known to shot at children who got too close to his home. During this time, he continued working as a preacher and attended revival meetings frequently. On Sundays, he would ride into town to attend church astride his only friend, a pony named Bill. (laughs) Yeah, I do get the feeling that he probably wasn't very friend-heavy throughout most of his life. (laughs) I find shooting at people's kids helps you get friends. Yeah, I mean, but even, you know, even before he started threatening threatening minors with a gun, um, he seems like the Christian equivalent of a vegan. Just, <laughs> I'm a Christian. Yeah, well done. No, but seriously, look, my hair is long like Jesus. Okay. I have no testicle. What? Sorry. What? <laughs> at the end of the church sermons, he'd tell the preacher, the Lord wants me to say a few words. <laughs> Of course he does. Then he removes a pistol from each boot, places the guns on either side of the Bible, and holds his own service. <laughs> so, so, hang on. So, he is, he's basically sermonising at gunpoint right yes. now. Yes, he is. <laughs> <laughs> he's made, so, God wants me to say stuff, uh, and because you probably all want to go home, I'm just going to wave these guns at you so you don't leave and have to listen to me. That's, yeah, okay. I'm sure he was talking about love and tolerance and all those good biblical stuff as well. (laughs) 
Uh, it was it was trying to push the benefits of um, self castration. Yeah, if thy if thy testicles offend thee, <laughs> say what? Uh, they, they they don't offend me. Well, they offend me. Get the scissors. Well, they offend. Me. <laughs> Look at me. I haven't had any testicles for twenty years, and I'm fine. Quick, sniff this mercury. <laughs> oh no, sorry, my gun's in that hand. This hand. Oh, sermonising at gunpoint. That was brilliant. Due to his fame as Lincoln's Avenger, Corbett was appointed assistant doorkeeper at the Kansas House of Representatives in Topeka in January 1887. Well, it's nice to know that even back then they didn't go for qualifications. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) On February 15th, he became convinced that officers of the House were discriminating against him. He jumped to his feet, brandished a revolver and began chasing the officers out of the building. Run! Run! Fortunately, no one was hurt, but Corbett was arrested. Good. <laughs> yeah, it's about fucking time, really. Yeah, yeah. I think I think maybe you know being locked up is the best thing for everybody concerned at this point. I'm surprised that nobody has actually died at his hand yet. The following day, a judge declared Corbett insane and sent him to the Topeka Asylum for the Insane. Was he allowed to take his guns? Please <laughs> tell me they took his guns. I wonder if they sent Billy with him. Aw, his only friend. <laughs> On May 26th, 1888, as the inmates were exercising, Corbett spied a delivery boy tethering his horse in front of the asylum. He broke away from the group, jumped on the horse, and took off on horseback. <laughs> oh, Bill's going to be pissed. How dare you ride another pony? <laughs> I just love he escaped from an asylum on horseback. It's brilliant. Yeah, that's that's that's. But you know, fair play to the guy. He saw his chance and he fucking took it. He didn't even need a gun to do it. <laughs> no, not this time. No. I would say it takes a lot of balls to escape from an insane asylum, but <laughs> but apparently not. <laughs> he rode to Kansas, where he briefly stayed with Richard Thatcher, a man he had met whilst held prisoner during the war. Whilst there, he tied a note to his borrowed horse, explaining who its rightful owner was, and set it free. (laughs) Sorry. So he's ridden from Topeka to Kansas. Okay, I just need to know how many miles this is. It's 120 miles. (laughs) 120 miles. And he just straps a note to the horse and lets it go. Yeah, and he just straps a note to the horse and goes, yeah, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, no worries. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing could possibly go wrong oh brilliant why why not just leave it with thatcher and tell him can you take the horse back well you think that would be slightly <laughs> but we're talking about Better. boston corbett so we are, yeah <laughs> when corbett left he told thatcher that he was heading to mexico it's unknown if corbett ever reached mexico though some believe that rather than going to mexico corbett settled in a cabin he built in the forest near hinkley in pine county in eastern minnesota he is believed to have died in the Great Hinkley Fire on September 1st, 1894, although there is no proof the name Thomas Corbett appears on the list of dead and missing. In the years following Corbett's presumed death, several men have come forward claiming to be Lincoln's Avenger. A few years after Corbett was last seen in Kansas, a patent medicine salesman in Oklahoma filed an application using Corbett's name to receive pension benefits. After an investigation proved that the man was not Boston Corbett, he was sent to prison. In September 1905, a man was arrested in Dallas who claimed to be Corbett. 
he too was proven to be an imposter and sent to prison, and then to the government hospital for the insane. To this date, the final fate of Boston Corbett remains unknown. Wow. Yeah. So that's the guy who killed Lincoln's assassin. Allegedly shot John Wilkes Booth. Yeah. Crazy, glory of God, man, Lincoln's <laughs> Avenger. No testicles. In, imitator. Hostage-taking church, riding a horse <laughs> to freedom. It's, 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 you can see why I picked it now. This is just insane. It's, yeah, that's brilliant. That's a great, yeah. That's a great story. <laughs> that's going to make me laugh for days. Just <laughs> I just have the image of him hopping a fence and jumping on a horse. Yeah, and some that's, poor, poor nurse that's who goes, good, "Oh, oh no!" That's pretty good as well. <laughs> going, "Oh, oh, let him go. He's really annoying. He talks about God all the time." Yeah, thank God the singing will stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you wonder if they just let him go to get some peace. <laughs> just, just, yeah, just go, just go, <laughs> please. I'm I'm going to turn my back on you now, Boston, and if you happen to jump on that horse and ride away, I'll be mighty disappointed in you. <laughs> <laughs> but God thinks it's a great idea. And obviously, he could literally jump on a horse without worrying that he's going to squash his balls. So, you know, there's a bonus there. <laughs> Perfect for getaways. Ah, well, I hope you enjoyed that. I did. I very much enjoyed that. That was brilliant. Thank you very much. So this is normally the part of the podcast where... I'll offer people a chance to promote the podcast they're doing. You're slightly different here, Hannah. You're not currently on a regular podcast at the moment, but you are working on one, aren't you? I am. I'm working on one with, you might know her. She's called Amy Walker. Um, she's she's great. She does, she does a number of podcasts. Um, and I'm doing another podcast with her at the moment called The Winchester Gospels, which is a blow-by-blow blow dissection of every single episode of Supernatural. Which, you know, is a really easy project to do and is going to take us no time at all to complete. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice, nice and easy. It's all lies. It's all lies. 250 odd episodes. And counting. Yeah. Stop making them. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's something that we'll be launching in the future. And I'm sure you'll be on here more both before then and after. So we will keep listeners up to date with the launch of that if they are interested yep sounds good and you better invite me back oh definitely so if you enjoyed this episode you can follow us on twitter by going to at eccentric underscore earth um, we're also on facebook you can find us by searching for at eccentric earth and we are on instagram as well where we not only give updates on new and upcoming episodes but we also tweet out and post various facts and tidbits from history that relate to that date. Um, so that comes out every single day. So there's always something to, to keep you interested. If you want to write into us with any suggestions about future episodes or to get in contact for any reason, our email address is eccentricearth at outlook.com. And you can find the show on all major podcast providers. So please make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you can leave us a review, that would be hugely appreciated. So that that's about it. Just just say um, goodbye and thank you everyone for listening. And thank you, Han, for coming on the show. Thanks for listening and thanks for inviting me, Amy. And I hope I get to do this again soon. Thanks. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>